how do we call ourselves a church and not have hymnals? So I think we ought to rectify that, uh, that problem. But anyways, uh, let me uh, just share with you a couple of, or a few things uh, for you to be aware of, things in the calendar that are coming up. Uh, number one is that on October 22nd, we're having a kind of a commissioning service for the Garlingtons as they move on to the next step in their missions journey and now going to, uh, to IMB training before they are sent out uh, early next year. Uh, so uh, we will have, um, that Sunday we'll also have Ina York be sharing with us and giving us an update as well, and that service will be followed by a fellowship lunch down, uh, downstairs in the fellowship hall, so I hope that you can uh, make it for that. There is on Slack a, a sign-up sheet that you can click on and let us know uh, what you can bring. Please consider bringing something. There's also uh, a sheet down in the fellowship hall uh, for you to fill out as well if you don't... Uh, if, you don't, if you're not on Slack or if you just don't do computers. Um, number two, October 27th, which is a Friday, 6.30 p.m., having a, a hymn night here at the church, so singing hymns only. And so that'll be, again, 6.30 uh, on October 27th, which is a Friday. Uh, October 29th, a Sunday. Uh, for those of you who have kids in Children's Church, uh, that is a, uh, a fifth Sunday of the month, which means that we will not have uh, Children's Church during that Sunday morning service. Uh, there'll still be nursery. If you do still need the, uh, the, any of the rooms in the, in the kids' wing, you are welcome to them. Uh, we just won't have Children's Church during that Sunday. And then lastly, on November the 4th, uh, we have our Good Works Day, which is a Saturday beginning at 9 a.m. This is just an opportunity uh, for us to be able to serve one another. Uh, so, for example, last year when we did our first Good Works Day, uh, there was a lot of people in the church who just needed some help uh, raking leaves. And so we did a lot of that for many homes. There are other projects as well. Uh, so if, uh, if you are looking to get on that list uh, for a particular project you have in your home, uh, you need to let Caitlin know by uh, October the 21st. Uh, so just mark your calendars for November 4th, which is a, a Saturday, and I see a hand raised. If you can help, please go there. So, um, but yes, that would be helpful for us to know how many hands we have available to be able to help uh, with that because that'll determine uh, how many people get sent to each home. It'll help us determine uh, how many people is needed for each project and how many people we actually do have available. So knowing how many people are available to help will be uh, immensely valuable information for us. So anyways, there's all the announcements. Um, I know that's a lot of them. I'll continue to repeat some of them as we come each week. So anyways, uh, let us go before the Lord and let us worship him. Uh, we come here this morning to honor and worship our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, there are many things happening, perhaps in your own life, or ha and certainly there are many things happening in the world right now. And we come here every single Sunday morning not to be distracted from the things that are happening in the world, but as a reminder to us that we have a great King and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is reigning in heaven, uh, who sees all things and ordains all things according to the counsel of His will. And we come and we worship Him with anticipation and with eagerness, asking and pleading that Christ Jesus would come soon and reign here upon this earth. And until we do, let us continue to go before him each week and worship him and glorify him as our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand. Let's worship this morning. <clears throat>
Word of God says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise, and give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Amen. Up to the hill, up to the hill of Calvary, my Savior went courageously, and there he bled and died for me, hallelujah, for the cross. And on that day the world was changed, a final perfect lamb was slain. Let earth and heaven now proclaim hallelujah for the cross. Hallelujah, hallelujah for the war he fought. Love has won, death has lost. Hallelujah for the souls he fought. Hallelujah for the cross. What good I've done. What good I've done could never save my debt too great for deeds to pay. But God, my Savior, made a way. Hallelujah for the cross. Yes, Lord, a slave to sin. My life was bound, but all my chains fell to the ground. When Jesus' blood came, Flowing down, hallelujah, for the cross. Sing, hallelujah, for the war he fought. Love has won, death has lost. Hallelujah, for the souls he fought. Hallelujah, for the cross. Hallelujah, hallelujah, for the war he fought. Love has won, death has lost. Hallelujah for the souls he fought. Hallelujah for the cross. And when I breathe my final breath, I'll have no need to fear that rest. This hope will guide me into death. Hallelujah for the cross. Hallelujah for the war he fought. Love has won. Death has lost. Hallelujah for the souls he fought. Hallelujah for the cross. Hallelujah.
Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt His tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, hear my faith in Him to dwell. For I know whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. For I know whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. Yes, Lord, we trust in Him as He leads and guides us. And all the way my Savior leads me, Cheers each winding path I tread, gives me grace for every trial, feeds me with the living bread. Though my weary steps may falter, and my soul a thirst may be, gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. Gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. Yes, Lord, continue worship. And all the way my Savior leads me, oh, the fullness of his love, perfect rest to me is promised. In my Father's house above, when my spirit clothed and mortal wings its flight to realms of day, this my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. This my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. Oh, 
receive from his hand. Father, no other God out there that has loved us the way you have shown your love to your people. Father, as we look to the cross, I pray, God, that we may be humbled. Understanding, God, that we, full of sin, unworthy, have been covered by the blood of Christ on that cross. Help us, God, to understand the depth, the grace that was shown 
over your people, Father. What love so amazing, so divine. That you have demonstrated on the cross through your son, Jesus. Father, that is why we gather and we come together as a church, as a body, to sing songs of worship unto you, Father, for you are worthy of our praise. We are unworthy, God. We are unworthy. Yet, you still loved us. You still love us. And you will continue to love us according to your word. And through your word, I pray, God, that we may be encouraged today. Open our eyes, God, to understand your word as food today, that we may be nourished and encouraged this morning. Lead us, God. Lead your people. We worship you, Father. God, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, you may be seated. At this time, we'll be dismissing our children to their classrooms. I'm going to read to us from John 17, uh, verse 20 and 21, and then we will spend some time in prayer. This is Jesus, moments before his crucifixion, as he's gathering with his disciples and praying with and for his disciples. He says here, as he's praying to the Father, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. Amen. Let's go to the Lord and let us pray. Lord, we do not tire of the gospel. And what a joy it is to sing about the Savior who bore our sins so that we might be saved and receive forgiveness of our sins and receive eternal life. Lord, we will never tire of this gospel. We will never tire of proclaiming this gospel. We will never tire of singing of this gospel. Father, we are here because your word has made us, has transformed us into disciples of Jesus Christ as we consider the words that Jesus prays here. He does not say that he prays for those who might believe in him, but for those who will believe through the word. Lord, we might be discouraged as we consider those that we have prayed for many years to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. We might be discouraged in considering those that we have perhaps shared the gospel with over and over again and they have yet to believe in Christ Jesus. Lord, but 
Let us remember this morning the power of the Word that even if we do not see it or experience it right now in the salvation of the lost, we can have confidence that your Word continues to have its effect. As the church, the universal church, continues to proclaim your precious gospel to a lost world. And Father, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we come also in the confession of our sins. We ask, God, that you might forgive us for every transgression, forgive us for every careless word, forgive us for every irreverent thought. Lord, we plead this morning for your great mercy to cover us, Lord, As we sing this morning of Jesus Christ dying for sinners, Lord, we plead, Lord, based on, we make our pleas based on those words that we have sung this morning, knowing that Christ Jesus has indeed died for sinners. And it is in Christ Jesus' work on the cross that we make this appeal to you that you might be gracious to us and forgive us for all of our sins. And we thank you, Lord because your grace does indeed cover a multitude of sins. Lord, would you keep us humble, because it is the humble that you teach to walk in your ways. It is the humble that you lead in your path. And we pray, Father, that in humility that we might allow your word to work in us, continuing to sanctify us and giving us a greater resemblance to Jesus Christ, our Savior. Father, we pray. We pray this morning for, for Travis and Brooke. Lord, we pray that you might help them to continue to keep Christ Jesus as first and foremost in their personal lives, in their marriage, in their parenting, in all that they do. To the glory of your name. Father, we raise our voices and we plea with Brooke, Lord, on behalf of her brothers, Brent and Wesley, and we ask, Lord, that you might make them into disciples of Jesus Christ. Cause them, Lord, to be born again by believing in the gospel of Christ Jesus. We pray that you might even send people to them to share the gospel, the good news, and that, Lord, that you might grant them saving faith in Christ Jesus. Help them, Lord, to treasure and prioritize the time and the word and feeding their souls. Help them as they raise Lorenzo, Lord, continue to give them wisdom, great patience, insights, and we pray for him that you might continue to grow him and help him to hit those milestones that he would eat well and sleep well. And Father, we pray also for Rochelle, Lord, that you might help her to continue to walk in your will increase and deepen her knowledge of the word that she may be a tree planted by streams of water yielding fruit in every season because she is anchored in your word. And you might also help her in the leadership positions that she has in school and bless her studies. Father, we pray for our sister Ina. She continues to minister and proclaim the gospel in the DR. Lord, equip her for every good work. Help her to walk in those good works that you have prepared beforehand, as it says in Ephesians. That you might help her, Lord, to continue to sow seeds of the gospel 
and that you might water those seeds and you might cause those seeds to grow and produce great fruit unto salvation. We pray, God, that you might help her and provide for her and keep her and protect her, Lord, from the schemes of the evil one. And that you might anchor her, Lord, in the grace and the comfort and the precious promises that are there for her in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you might continue to grow your church in New England, that you might pray, that you might continue to bless us as a church and others who continue to minister in the hard soil of New England. Father, we pray for a great and glorious salvation, that you might equip your church to put their hands to the plow and continue to do gospel work in and outside of the church, and that your people, your precious people, may continue to be a powerful witness of the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, with heavy hearts, we pray over this war right now in Israel and Hamas, God and the Father, you know all things. You see all things. You see, God, the, the war, the agony, the distress, the atrocities, the great crimes against humanity. Father, we pray for a swift end to these things. We pray for peace. We pray for stability. We pray for the those who are innocent, for those who are in harm's way, God, that you, we pray for protection, for safety, for refuge. We pray, Father, that you might cast down those workers of iniquity who do these things in the name of God and religion, that you might cast them down and put an end to such, to such evil and wickedness. And lastly, Father, we pray this morning for those in our church who work as engineers in any way, in any capacity. We pray, Father, that you might give to them the mind that they need to do their work well, that you might give them the mind to be able to solve problems and issues. Lord, bless them in the work that they do. Help them to work well, to express a kind of devotion to the Word that is immediately recognizable to those around them so they may gain favor with those, with those that they work with and they might be, that they might do all things to your eternal glory. Father, we trust you for all of these things. We pray these things with faith and in confidence knowing that you hear our prayers. And as we continue to pray and as we conclude our time of prayer, Father, we pray also the prayer that you have taught us to pray in your scriptures, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you would, please turn with me to the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 6 this morning. Acts 6, verses 1 through 7. So, because we do not have our our screen working this morning, uh, whether it is an electronic copy of God's Word, or if you need a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat in front of you. Feel free to pick one of those up and turn with us to Acts chapter 6, reading verses 1 through 7. Acts 6, beginning in verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Father, what a joy it is to be able to read your word and to see the effect of your word in causing people to be born again, to become disciples of Christ Jesus, and even many amongst the priesthood becoming obedient to the faith. Father, we long to see this kind of work. We long to be a part of this kind of work. And we pray for that work even this morning. Lord, help us through your word to become that much more obedient to the faith. that we might more resemble Christ Jesus and be under his discipleship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are plenty of advantages and disadvantages when it comes to belonging or being part of a small church or a mid-sized church or a large church. And perhaps some of you have been part of all three, have been part of all three. And so you are probably very well aware of some of the pros and cons of each. Having been a part of a large church in the past, there's many good things about it, but some of the cons or disadvantages is that it's easy to get lost. It's easy to have sort of the small group of people that you meet with on a regular basis, that you come to know, and those are the people that you seek out. But it is hard to get to know so many other people when there are so many other people. Where do you begin? 
How do you start? How do you go about that? And it's one of the advantages of having a small church or being part of a small church is that you get to know and you are known. When someone is missing, you are immediately aware. You get to know each other's stories, children, background, situation, what are the needs. But therein also lies one of the disadvantages of a small church. And that is that we can become too comfortable with the size because of the familiarity that is easy to have in a small church. When it comes to the church and the expansion of Christ's kingdom, growing is not an option, but growing is necessary. And it's necessary for at least two reasons. Number one, because kingdom work requires more laborers. Right? We want to see more people laboring for the kingdom of heaven in the life of the church or outside of the church. If you want to grow and expanding the work of the kingdom, then we need more people with more hands on deck to take up the plow and continue to work. But another reason why, and perhaps even more important than the first reason as to why growth is not an option but necessary is because many souls are on the line. Because many souls have the wrath of God abiding upon them, waiting to fall heavily upon their souls. And their only means of escape is believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we should want the church to grow, not for the sake of just growing, we want the church to grow because we are seeing and we want to see more people coming to saving faith in Christ Jesus. So as we consider the passage this morning, this is not about what are effective growth strategies in the life of the church. There are many out there, and quite frankly, many of them are quite silly and foolish, treating the church as a kind of business. Some out there are good and might be helpful. But that's not the question that we're wrestling with. That's not our great concern. Our great concern is not getting more people just for the sake of getting more people, but it is how, how to grow the church through the making of disciples. Whether it is growing disciples already, Increasing in discipleship, growing to greater conformity to Jesus Christ, or making those who are lost into disciples of Jesus Christ. Our concern is not numbers, our concern is souls. Let's consider our passage. Our first heading is the word increases and the church increases. Starting at the very end, and the word, verse 7, continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And the word continued to increase, the passage says. It's the only instance in the scriptures where we see this. The word continues to increase. And I think pointing to the liveliness of the word of God. It's pointing to the fact that the word of God continues to bear fruit as it continues to be proclaimed, as it continues to spread out. And that is because this is not just an ordinary word, but because this is the living and abiding word of God. 
as it says in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Consider the power of the living and abiding word when you hear 1 Peter 1.23, where it says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Words and sentences on a page, whether it is newspaper, whether it is in a magazine, whether it is on a book, can take a form of life depending on how they affect us, whether it is illumining us to something we didn't quite understand before or helping us to know something we didn't know before, or whether it's affecting us emotionally or giving us some kind of newfound zeal. Right, Words can have a kind of life in them depending on the words and how they might affect you, but this is very different than the kind of life that is contained in God's Word. The aliveness of the Word of God is very different. The kind of living that describes the Word of God is that which is living, speaking into that which is dead and causing that which is dead to become alive. No other word in all the world has that kind of power than the living Word of God. And this is what the Word of God continues to produce. As we've been working through Acts and seeing time and time again the effect of the Word of God, this is what it continues to produce. Speaking life into that which was dead and then causing that which was dead to become living. And this power is contained in the Word of God. And this power... You cannot take away that kind of power because that power doesn't come from us. The power comes from God who puts that power in his word, whether it is the written word or whether we are speaking the word to one another or to those who are lost. But there is a way that we can limit that word and its effect. The word does its work when it is free to do its work. But there are some things that we can do to sort of cage the Word of God. For example, we can kind of cage the Word of God by our silence. Right? When we do not proclaim the gospel as we should. When we do not share the gospel as we should. We can cage the Word of God by our works. One of the things that I stress when someone comes into membership and work them through the membership covenant is that when you are becoming a member of the church, you are committing to living a Christ-like life wherever you go. Not a perfect life, because that is impossible, but showing forth that there is a harmony between your life and the gospel that you believe. Because when you do not live out a life that is consistent with the gospel, you are hurting the witness of the church and the witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and even in a way caging the power of the Word of God. Because when someone hears the gospel of Jesus Christ and seeing that you're living a life that is contrary to that gospel, what reason would they have in believing in that gospel? If anything, they have every reason to not believe in that gospel. 
And in the passage, there is one other way of caging the Word of God that becomes clear to us. This takes us, secondly, to responding to a blockage. There is a kind of blockage in the system of the body of the church that becomes apparent. Verse 1, Now in these days when disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. These Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews. Specifically, they were widows. And the care for widows becomes increasingly important in the life of the church, thanks to the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy, a passage that we don't have time to get into. But for some reason, but it, it, this neglect wasn't an intentional neglect. It's not that there was some kind of intentionality, like let us, let us not provide for these widows, let us only take care of the Jews. I don't think that was the case at all. But what we see here is some growing pains. Time and time again, we see that the church continues to increase. More people are made into disciples of Jesus Christ. More people are believing in that gospel and are welcomed into the church. And so the church continues to grow, and now it's experiencing some growing pains. And one of those growing pains is that there were some, there was a particular group of people that were being neglected, probably in oversight, not intentional. It's easy Wait, one of the disadvantages of having a much larger church is that it's easier to miss some of those needs because it's hard to become aware of all the needs in the life of the church. To some of the growing pains. The book of Acts, known as the Acts of the Apostles, we've seen again, we've seen the preaching of the apostles. We've seen the evangelism of the apostles. We have seen the apostles dealing with sin in the life of the church, namely through the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And we see here another of the acts of the apostles in dealing with something that became incredibly important in the life of the church. And that is, how do we minister well in the life of the church? How do we care for one another well in the life of the church? And in this way, they show that the apostles have a great concern for the church. Their care, their concern is how do we maintain our unity? Because this has the opportunity to immediately dissolve our unity in the life of the church. Not only that, it would even hurt their witness. As the apostles continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, Growing was not optional. They continued to proclaim the gospel so that people might be saved. And as people were saved, they were included into the life of the church. Now, this, this, as they considered this, this neglect in the life of the church, it became immediate need. And this would have been a dangerous neglect if left unattended. Because I said earlier, it would hurt the witness of the church, not only that, but it would prevent the church from continuing to grow. Even though they're given to the ministry of the word, the administrative issues of the church are not out of their concern because it deals directly with the church and their great concern is for the church. 
Then verses 2 to 4, we see how they resolve this problem. The twelve apostles summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So here we see that the answer that the apostles came up with was with the establishing of a new office in the life of the church, and that is the office of deacons. We need some oversight over the needs of the church. So deacons become a response to like this, this lightning strike of need in the church. They become a kind of shock absorbers. They're sort of the, the thick layers on an airplane that absorbs the lightning strikes. They are chosen by the disciples and then appointed by the apostles who function like elders in the life of the church. And for them to be appointed is to set them over. And it's like setting somebody over your finances. Right? This person might be managing your finances, giving you wisdom, insight, might tell you, like, this is all the buckets that you should have, this is how you should be saving your money, this is where you want to put your money in things like that, but the one who said over your finances is not doing the shopping for you, right? They're not, they're not spending all the things that you want to spend your money on. They're just simply overseeing your finances. So in the same way, the deacons are established not to do all of the serving or all the deaconing, but they are set as managers over the needs and the care of the church. And included with this appointment, the apostles provide also a very small set of qualifications for these deacons. So that they should be men of good repute, full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom. In other words, they ought to be men of good works, men of wisdom, and men of God. And that they should be men of good works, I think, points to the fact that they should be men who are already deaconing in some ways. And certainly we're helped by Paul's sort of double-clicking on these qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, 8, and it's worth reading that passage there. But the qualifications of a deacon, deacons, it says there likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, saying one thing and then meaning something else or talking out of two sides of their mouths, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. And then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. We don't have the time to work through every single one of those qualifications as they are described to us in that passage. But one thing that I do want to point out is this. Notice that in, these, in this list, there is nothing here about skills. They're all character qualifications. 
In other words, a deacon must, doesn't have to be somebody who knows how to swing a hammer. He doesn't have to be somebody who is well-skilled in finances. He doesn't have to be someone who knows how to fix an engine. That's not on the list. The needs, the specific needs, the particularity of needs did not determine the kind of men that you select. So in other words, let's say you needed somebody to do bookkeeping, right? And we have a bookkeeper in our church, but let's say that we need a bookkeeper and you have three men who are qualified to be deacons and none of them knows how to do any bookkeeping. It would be wrong and against scriptures to say, I'm sorry, you men cannot be deacon because none of you know how to do any bookkeeping. Right, you're adding to Scripture there. You're essentially saying that bookkeeping is a character qualification according to 1 Timothy 3. But no, you first find the qualified men and then you find where they fit in the life of the church. Now, why do the apostles look for men or say that they, these men must be a good repute? Watch, choose out seven men. I don't know why. <laughs> It has to be seven men. I think that a church that has female deacons isn't wrong. I think you can make a very good argument for both male-only deacons or male and female deacons in the life of the church. At our church, we have only male deacons, and that itself is sort of a whole other topic that we don't have time to discuss. These men are chosen and the apostles lay hands on them in a, set, in a way of sort of or, formally ordaining them, setting them apart for this ministry, a specific ministry in the life of the church. And so in order to resolve this issue of this neglect, the apostles institute the office of deacons to help grow the life of the church by overseeing the needs of the church and making sure that they are met but there's another reason why this oversight is needed in the life of the church. In verse 2, again, the apostle summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. It is not fit. It is not acceptable for us to give up the ministry of the word. And it shows the enormity of the need. The apostles were recognizing it's one or the other. We cannot do both well. For us to be devoted to the one would mean giving up the other. It would be neglecting the other. It is turning away from the other to look to this particular need that has come up in the life of the church and making sure that that is met. But it is not acceptable for us to turn away from the ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer Instead, let us set particular individuals who are overseeing the needs of the church and making sure that the needs are met. It is a question of what their primary concern was. And the ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer points to another need of the church. Right? There is the physical, administrative, tangible needs in the life of the church that when those needs are met, it contributes to the growing body of the church of Jesus Christ. But there is also the spiritual and the soul needs of the church 
that are met through the ministry of the Word and the ministry of prayer that also have to be met, that also contributes to a growing body of Jesus Christ. So you need both. You need ministers of need and ministers of the Word. One devoted to the needs of the church and others devoted to the Word of the Lord. 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise you for your youth, Paul tells Timothy, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Devote yourself to the ministry. Devote yourself to the, uh, the worship service, reading the Scriptures to the people of God, exhorting them and teaching them through the Word of God. Devote yourself to these things. The apostles, the ministers of the word, are focused on feeding the good food of the word of God to the flock of God. And they're also focused on besieging heaven on behalf of the church. You need people in the church devoted to both of those things. Not both at the same time, but men devoted to one and men devoted to the other. And devotion is not just simply showing up when you, where you are expected to. Devotion is not just simply going to work eight to five, day in and day out, five days a week. Right, you're just meeting the expectations. But devotion has to mean something more. And I've been thinking about this passage, I've been thinking more about the word devotion. Because devotion has to mean more than just meeting the mere minimum, right? It is a kind of wholeheartedness. It's kind of giving of one's self. A concert pianist does not become a concert pianist without some kind of devotion. A skilled artist does not become so without any kind of devotion in his or her life. They must be devoted to that talent or that skill to become that accomplished. Devotion requires a giving up of one's self. And apostles decided that they needed to be men devoted to the ministry of the word and devoted to prayer. And for them to walk away from that devotion would not have been acceptable. Why would it not be acceptable? The Puritan Thomas Burgess answers, at least in part answers that question, when he laments and saying, why in these latter days is it that the word preached makes no more wonderful works? At first propagation of the gospel, so many fish were caught in the net that it was ready to break. And at the first reformation out of popery, the kingdom of God suffered violence, but now he that is profane is profane still. The blind are blind still. The proud still proud. What is the matter? Is not the word of God as powerful as ever? Is not the Lord's arm as strong as ever? Yes. But the zeal of people is grown cold. There are no such fervent prayers, such high esteems of the means of grace. Men do not besiege heaven, giving God no rest day or night till he come with salvation into their souls. And truly the spirit of prayer is a sure forerunner of spiritual mercies to be bestowed. 
Now, this speaks here in the life of the church. To some degree, every saint ought to be devoted to a life of prayer. There is very little, if anything at all, that we can do in a Christian life without a life devoted to prayer. But you need in the life of the church men especially devoted to life of prayer. Why does the church need men devoted to prayer? Because the church needs men who give God no rest day or night until he graciously bestows his great mercies that he has designed in the life of the church. You need men in the life of the church as devoted guardians of unity and theology in the church according to Ephesians 4 because without that, you have a church that is much more liable to be tossed and fro by every wind of doctrine that is out there in the world. The church needs men devoted to the teaching of the Word, the preaching of the Word, the massaging of the Word to famished souls, the proper handling of the Word, the equipping of the saints through the Word, the correcting of wayward sheep through the Word. The church not need less men. It needs more men who know how to handle the word of truth. Paul warns in his letters about putting a man into an elder who is an early convert or a recent convert. Why is that? It's not, it doesn't speak to the genuineness of his transformation to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But someone who is a recent convert has not yet learned the skill of handling the sharp sword of the word. The church needs men who know how to handle the word better than know how how I know how to handle an axe and trying to get it to stick to a wall like we did as men last week. If you have a man who knows how to handle an axe like I do, you shouldn't put them in the ministry. Thank God that's not one of the qualifications, Right? knows how to throw an axe. And so these things are important. For a growing and vibrant church, you need both. You need to make sure the church needs, to make sure that the needs of the saints are being met because without that, it has a way of stunning the growth of the church. It has a way of impeding the witness of the church, and you need men devoted to the ministry of the word and prayer. That takes us to third and lastly, desiring a growing church. And we see as the apostles appointed these men to this responsibility so they can continue freely about in the work of the ministry through the word and prayer. I'm reading verse 7 as a kind of result. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What is one of the most effective means of growing church is through the teaching of the word. It's 
when you have men devoted to the ministry of the word and prayer. Acts 20, which is a passage in Paul's last words to the Ephesian elders. It's a set of passages that I've been thinking a lot about lately. It's a passage that I've seek to emulate in my own life, in part because, quite honestly, I don't think I am as devoted as I want to be. And I see Paul's words here as a kind of example. In Acts 20, verse 18, he says these last words, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you in public and from house to house, both to Jews and Greeks, of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And he continues in verse 26, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I would love to spend the time unpacking what does he mean there by the whole counsel of God. That sounds pretty expansive. And it is. But through the trials, through persecution, teaching in public, in the temple, in the synagogue, and even house to house of repentance towards God and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, declaring the whole counsel of God that, those words that are just bleed devotion. And when you have in the life of the church men devoted to the ministry of need and men devoted to the ministry of the word, you have a perfect recipe for a growing and thriving church. And by the way, it doesn't mean that only elders teach in the life of the church. I mean, you just consider Stephen as a prime example. Stephen was not an elder, and yet he was one of the most powerful people in the first church, full of wisdom, full of the Spirit, well-versed in the Scriptures, which we'll see soon when we get to Acts chapter 7. But what contributes, what helps to contribute to a growing church is when the work it's when the Word is free to do its work. And it is when men devoted to the work of the Word are free to devote themselves to that work. The ministry of the Word and the ministry of prayer. Why is one half of the man's ministry devoted to the Word and the other to the Word or to prayer? is because one is utterly ineffective without the other. You cannot expect any kind of success, you cannot expect any, expect any kind of fruit-bearing in the ministry of the Word if it is not saturated with prayer. It is prayer that makes the ministry of the Word effective, powerful, and successful. Right? That's why when you, any church should consider when any church considers a man to the office of an elder, one a question that ought to be asked is, how is your prayer life? Do you pray? Are you a praying man? Do you pray regularly? Because what reasonable expectation would the church have 
that the man would be devoted to prayer if he's not devoted to prayer already, even just as a Christian, not walking in those shoes of a pastor or elder. The word is the battery of the church, but without prayer, the battery is dead, providing no energy or power to the system of Christ's body. It is prayer that keeps the battery charged. So you need both. Ephesians 4.16 says, In Christ Jesus, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Certainly in the life of the church, everyone is called to serve. Right, we have there in that passage a growing body of Christ, and that is when each part is working properly, when the saints are each doing their part, when the ministers of the church are doing their parts, when those who wear those particular hats in the life of the church are doing their work, and every saint is doing their work, their part, it contributes to a growing body that has built itself up in love. And again, when it comes to the office of deacons, it's not that deacons are doing all the deaconing. It's not that deacons are doing all the serving and only them, but they are a kind of leader amongst servants in the body of Christ. who are also men of the word, too. As I said, this is important because unmet needs can stun the growth of the church. And we're called to be a call called to be a church that loves one another. Right? If one has this world's goods, this world's goods and sees their brother in need and yet shuts up his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him, James says? Jesus says that the world will know that we are disciples if we have love one another. What is, the most, one of the, what is one of the most tangible ways of showing love to one another is meeting a need. And this is not, I'm not saying these things because our church does not do these things. I think, quite frankly, that our church actually meets needs very well. And some of you meet very, needs very well without perhaps many people even knowing. But I'm just simply stating that this, is, this contributes to a growing and thriving church. And this is also how we protect the witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Growth in the church is not an option, but necessary. Because souls are at stake, because there's great kingdom work to do. And so when we, we, when we consider these things, and when we consider how do we feel about the church, how do we feel about the size, how do we feel about the familiarity or the family feel of the church, if and asking yourself, is there a kind of holy discontentment? In other words, loving the family feel that comes from a small church, but am I too comfortable with the size of the church? Is there any kind of hunger, any kind of appetite for a growing church that is seeing people coming to Christ and more being added to the family of Christ? 
there's just simply too much at stake. There are lost souls who are in desperate need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we allow ourselves to become too comfortable with our size, then that will prevent us from preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ with the boldness that we ought. Because we don't want to disrupt the size. Because we don't want to disrupt the family feel. And there's a way of maintaining that family feel in the life of a large church, a topic for another occasion. But we must not let our being comfortable prevent us from seeking others and their being added to the household of faith. And there is just simply great kingdom work to do. The work continues in the life of the church and we need more laborers, not less. And if we want to continue to grow and expand in the ministry of the work, of the ministry of the kingdom of heaven, then what we need is more, not less, laborers in the kingdom. I would love to see a growing and thriving family ministry, a ministry that is devoted to helping and equipping families and raising their children in the fear and instruction of the Lord. Why is that? Because society right now hates the family and hates children. It seeks nothing more than to sever parents from their children. We need to equip families. We need more teaching, not less teaching. We need more than what we receive here on Sunday mornings through the sermon. And while I am thankful for Steve Patton's continued faithfulness in teaching in Sunday school, but what we need is more, not less, teaching in the life of the church. What if we had a second Sunday school? What if we had a midweek Bible study with men with a giftedness to teach? What we need is to consider our evangelistic efforts, outward ministry. What if we had individuals passionate and desirous of seeing more evangelistic efforts in the life of the church and helping us to focus much more outward in the life of the church? What we need is not to do less ministry, but do more ministry, not for the sake of doing, but because we want to continue to glorify Christ in the life of the church. We want to see the body of Christ continuing to grow. We want to see more people added to the body of Jesus Christ. We want to continue to be used by the Lord for his glorious purposes, the salvation of the lost, and bringing honor, more and more honor, to the gospel in Jesus Christ. If the Lord sees fit to grow us, and why wouldn't he want to, let it be through the word being free to do its work as each part is working properly, contributing to the growing church that is built up in love with Christ Jesus as the head. By way of response, we're going to take communion together this morning. So if you have yet to grab one of these cups, there are these small cups in the back table. Feel free now to grab one of these. As the church, as believers, 
we come together and we take communion together. We take the bread as a kind of representative element reminding us of the body of Jesus Christ that was bruised and broken on our behalf. We take the cup as a reminder to us that Jesus Christ shed his precious blood so that all those who believe in him might be forgiven of their sins. Jesus gives this, this ordinance to the church, to his body, to take together as family members, as part of the household of faith. So whether you are here as a guest, whether you are here for the first time, or if you have as long as you have received baptism, as long as you have believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, not in that order, believe first, then baptize. If you have trusted, if you have, your life is characterized by the repentance that God requires walking in holiness, then you are invited to take this meal as a brother or sister in Christ Jesus. But if you have yet to believe in Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then we ask that you, to take, that you not take this meal with us, and we do not do this as a way of pointing any kind of criticism or judgment towards you. In fact, we are glad that you're here, and we are desirous of you to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Won't you come to Christ? Won't you be spared from the wrath of God? Won't you have your sins forgiven by believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Come to Jesus Christ and receive the forgiveness of your sins, and receive eternal life in his name, so that you also may be part of the household of faith, so that you also may join us in taking this meal with us. So what we'll do is, before we take the bread and the cup, we'll take a moment, just pause and reflect from your seats, pray to the Lord, reflect, go to the Lord, confess your sins before the Lord, but not only that, don't just leave that there, but trust that you have the forgiveness of your sins through faith in Jesus Christ. So take a moment, just pause, reflect, pray to the Lord. Man, let us take the cup, and as we do this, we'll do it as we normally do it, as we take the bread and as we take the cup, let us not only say, but believe wholeheartedly that this is the body of Christ bruised for me, and this is the blood of Jesus Christ shed for me. So let us take the bread together, brothers and sisters, the body of Christ bruised for you, the body of Christ bruised for me.
in the same way the cup. Brothers and sisters, the blood of Jesus shed for you. The blood of Jesus shed for me. Jesus, you are the head of the church. We get our vitality. We get our sustenance. We get our energy from you. Because not only are you the head of the church, but you are the heart of the church. Lord, we need you. And we are desirous of more of you. Lord, give us more of yourself. Lord, help us to be a people devoted to prayer that we might besiege heaven, praying for one another, praying for the lost, and believing in the power of your word. Lord, use us for your glorious purposes. Lord, use us as your instruments. Lord, we are vessels for your great mercy. Glorify yourself in us and through us. Take us, Lord, as we are and continue to grow us and mature us in the faith. And may we be beacons of light and hope to worlds that is perishing in the darkness and under your wrath. Grant your servants boldness and provide, Lord, for all that we need in the life of our church. Lord, thank you for our church. Thank you for each person. Thank you, Lord, for the ways that many people in our church serve on Sunday mornings or outside of the service. Thank you for every life that you have transformed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, the good work that you have begun, we pray that you may continue that good work until it is complete. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. Let's stand. The last song as a response is all I have is Christ. There's our foundation, right? Let's sing together. Amen. I would.
church devoted to growing in both spiritually but also in the needs of the church God bring I pray Father that you may bring forth men of of good character as we heard today Lord may we be a people that care for one another God both in, in works and devoted in prayer And we teach and preach Christ and Christ alone. God, rise up your church to be devoted in all these areas and all these things, God, for the growth and glory of God. For you, Lord. Place in us, Lord, the necessity the necessity and hunger for your word. God, place in us the necessity and hunger for sharing the gospel, the necessity and hunger for good teachers, for 
the necessity and hunger, God, for deacons. The necessity and hunger for your church. God, may your your living word continue to produce life in the midst of the dead and in the midst of your church. Lead us and continue to lead and guide us, Lord. We trust in you. In Jesus' name I pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. Word of God says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Amen. Church, God bless you. You're dismissed. Amen.